This Talking Flutes podcast is kindly sponsored by Trevor James Flutes, making life sound beautiful. You can show them some flute love by following them on Instagram at TJ Flutes, Trevor James Flutes on Facebook, and at trevorjamesflutes.com. Hello and welcome this week to Talking Flutes Extra with me, Jean-Paul Wright. A huge thank you for your many suggestions on future podcast subject matter and guests and I've passed these over to Claire and we'll be incorporating these into our upcoming podcast planning. One of the suggested guest names popped up more than once and wanting to be ahead of the game, I'll be recording an interview with Philippe Barnes, the multi-instrumentalist and versatile musician specialising in Irish and Celtic music and also a stunning flute player later this week. To go live as a Talking Flutes Extra podcast very soon. And Philippe has a little connection to our guest this week. This week I'm speaking with Sarah Stockton, an accomplished flute player, teacher and repair specialist based in Connecticut. Sarah received a music degree in flute performance from the University of Connecticut and her Master of Music Education from the Boston Conservatory. Or Conservatoire, I don't know which one it is, but Conservatory. Not only is Sarah a flute player and teacher, but many people outside of Connecticut and probably the USA via the platform of the interweb and social media will best know her for her expertise in flute repair, servicing and flute crown design. Her online flute tech talk show, A Screw Loose, with fellow technical flute experts, geeks in inverted commas, gives an insight for people to understand the expertise and passion for the instrument from a manufacturing, design and performance basis. Her boundless flute crowns add that something extra special to a flute, and we'll talk about that a little later. So, ladies and gentlemen, oh, my voice has gone there. So, ladies and gentlemen of the Talking Flutes Podcastium Audentium, I just made that up. Welcome to the lovely Sarah Stockton. Hi, Sarah. I don't follow. That was quite an introduction. <laughs> oh, full of verbal diarrhea. I'm actually, I apologize oh, for that. It was beautiful diarrhea. It was the most lovely kind of diarrhea. <laughs> <laughs> I couldn't even smell it from here. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, but I'm sure you can smell a lot of things because actually, if you're not watching this, um, you're listening mm. to the uh, podcast. Behind Sarah, I can see tools, I can see a flute, and I can see oils, and there's probably a certain aroma going on in your workshop. Um, I try not to. I have a giant air purifier running all the time. (laughs) 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 Mostly because I I work from home and, you know, it's uh, trying to focus while it smells like chicken popper kosh is (laughs) a little distracting at times. Uh, Anti-tarnish polishes that I use. Um, Yeah, there's one in particular that I will literally take the flute outside and and do it out there (laughs) because... (laughs) I think my I can see my plants start to sort of like keel over when I use it. <laughs> so Sarah, thank you for joining me from early morning in Connecticut over here in London. And we yeah. are we are full of snow and you are It is actively snowing here and we have about oh probably fifteen inches on the ground right now. Do you know so. we've we've we stop. Our country comes to a halt. Actually I'm, I'm lying. Actually, London and the southeast comes to a halt. We have about yes. a centimetre. <laughs> half, half an inch. And Be careful. We, we Be have, careful. Put your snow tyres on. <laughs> yeah, can you imagine if you put those chains on your tyres? <laughs> no, we've, we've come to a halt. You know, it's, oh, it's snowing. Ah! Yeah, yeah. No, growing up here, I mean, we used to have to have like a, a bucket loader, like one of those giant things with the scoopy things on the front. Not just a plow, but like like the thing that actually scoops and lifts and puts the snow somewhere else to clear my driveway. Um, because it would just snow that much oh, in a so, plow. Yeah, so There's not enough places to push the snow. <laughs> no use for a little handy spade and a and a broom. Well, my parents definitely tried to convince <laughs> 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 me that those were very useful as well. <laughs> so where did all this start, Sarah? Because as I said, you're a flute player and a teacher. Yes. 
And yet I know you not as either. I know you play the flute because when you put some videos up and you can hear you testing, that's yeah. not that's not your bog standard. And this is no disrespect to woodwind technicians because they have to play everything, but you're not a woodwind technician. <laughs> you can play the flute. So well, where, thank you. where, where <laughs> I, did I all, used to be able to play the flute. <laughs> where did it all start and what sort of well, drew you okay. to where you are now? Yeah. Okay. So I, interestingly enough, I went to a school, I, I went, I went through nine years of Catholic school, um, which did not have a music program. <laughs> we had, we had a lovely woman with a guitar who would show up once a week for, you know, half an hour and we'd scream along to that. And <laughs> that was music class. Um, so my sister, I am the youngest of a few and my oldest uh, sister, she played the flute see her music laying around and I'd go, okay, what is this amazing looking language? Like, I, I just, I need to know what those dots do. <laughs> and so because I didn't really have a music program, I didn't really know that anything other than the flute existed. So I was like, well, the only way that I'm going to know what those dots do is if I play flute, like my sister. So I got a flute for Christmas when I was 11 and took private lessons right away because we didn't have, you know, a band program. And I, I, you know, I'm not shy about saying I'm a nerd. And so when I get into something, I really get into something. And so by the time I got to high school where there was a band program, um, you know, I was sitting in the first flute section um, because I had spent the last, you know, two years doing nothing but playing for hours and hours every single day. So that's where kind of my love of the flute hatched was sort of this uh, obsessive need to know more and know more and know more and then get better. And then, you know, you get hooked on the sound and there's just something very soothing about breathing and making that sound happen. So I got hooked into that. And then I like taking things apart. <laughs> And I like knowing how things work and I like making things like I have always been a knitter. I've always been like, you know, oh, that has a screw in it. Let me find a screwdriver and screw it and see what that does. So anytime I could build or make or create something with my hands that I was I was there. So naturally, my two itches came together. <laughs> and as soon as I got my, you know, my flute with the holes in it, I took apart my baby flute just to see how it worked. And put it back together and it still worked. And I went, okay, <laughs> this is fun. So I went through my performance degree and, and, you know, didn't really do much in, in, in the way of, you know, thinking about repair as, as a kind of a viable option. I graduated with my performance degree. I kind of went, okay, I don't really want to go straight to grad school. I'm a little burnt out on this playing thing, but I, I need some health insurance. I'm going to go work for Starbucks. <laughs> So I <laughs> worked my way up to being a store manager for Starbucks. Uh, that was my love of coffee born. <laughs> and then after a while, I went, you know, I am not enthusiastic about giving cranky people their coffee all day, every day. And, you know, maybe all those people who are music edu education majors weren't wrong. <laughs> so I decided that being a music teacher at least would allow me to play my flute and, and be around music more. So when I became a music teacher, uh, the first uh, job, well, one of the first jobs that I got was teaching beginning band. And the school had a very tiny, tiny, tiny fleet of loner instruments and more kids who were interested in playing than they had instruments available. And of course they can rent, but I'm always, I'm always looking to help people who are not capable of helping themselves necessarily. So like a lot of the families couldn't afford to rent. So I was like, okay, well, this is why we have the loaner fleet for the school. So I started buying instruments off of eBay and started looking up on the internet how to fix them. <laughs> and so I was fixing clarinets and cleaning trumpets and taking apart, you know, euphoniums and figuring out how the valves go back in. And so interestingly enough, the organist at my church growing up was Joe Bukavichis, who is now the head of quality control for Altus flutes. <laughs> <laughs> and so when I started getting back into, you know, needing to know how to fix these instruments um, for, for my band kids, he was actually in Thomaston, Connecticut at the time running his own music business um, called Michael Lang Music, not Joe B. Music, but 
that's another story. Um, and he was extremely gracious with his time and showed me how to do what I needed to do, got me onto some internet forums. Uh, and I just read voraciously everything that I could, asked all the dumb questions. So the whole time that I was teaching, um, you know, I would keep buying instruments, seeing what I could do. Uh, and that sort of eventually turned into after about oh, seven years of teaching, I kind of went, hmm, <laughs> why am I teaching? <laughs> Maybe I should do this whole like instrument fixing thing instead. So that's when I got serious and started. Um, I took John Mandel's classes, you know, sitting in his workshop in New Hampshire and watching the snow fall out the window and, you know, cutting a head joint or, you know, putting pads in a flute. And it's so it was so peaceful. It was just really it was just that kind of moment where I went, oh, OK, like I'm not arguing with seventh graders. <laughs> like, <laughs> you know, shouting to be heard. I'm not, you know, I, I love, I love teaching, but there's a whole lot of parts of teaching that are very stressful. I'm sort of naturally an introvert and I'm a perfectionist and that and public school teaching sometimes are at odds with each other. <laughs> so, so that's sort of how I ended up where I am. It just, uh, as I started you know, getting more into just focusing on flutes, I found that, you know, I know so many flute players because I've been a flutist in the area for so long um, that all my friends were like, uh, I, I really want to ship my flute or drive to New York. Could you just look at my flute for me? And I was like, mm, okay. <laughs> you know, the first person that, you know, let me touch their professional flute that was extremely hair raising. It's one of those things that you don't really know what you're doing until you're doing it and you do it more and you get better and you iterate. And it's kind of, you know, I go back and I see the flutes that I did, you know, at the beginning and I go, oh, baby me. <laughs> and it's like, I didn't do bad work, but now I do better work, you know? So it's just one of those things. It's with anything, you know, you, you look back at five, 10 years ago and you go, oh, <laughs> I didn't know about X, Y, and Z, but now I do. I'm going to do it. <laughs> we all, yeah, I, I jokingly called you a nerd, a geek. Yeah. But, but, and I'm sure. It's not a joke. It's not, not joke. but it, I'm sure all our <laughs> listeners, the musicians, will also regard you as the angels when, mm. because a flute is a flute. And I remember taking my first flute apart <laughs> when I was young, and I put it back together again, and it didn't play properly. Um, oh, no. But it seems so logical. The way mm -hmm. the flute is constructed seems so logical. But also mm -hmm. the damage one can do if you don't know what you're doing yes, by taking absolutely. it apart and putting it back together again. So that's a, a basic man thing, you know, parents. So the fathers would say, a daughter would come in and would say, oh, my flute's not working properly. Oh, I've got a screwdriver. And then, yeah, yeah. It, goes, it goes wrong. <laughs> It does. <laughs> but I think all technical people out there are responsible for turning a problem, which all of us as instrumentalists have with our instruments, and whether it's a psychological problem or whether it's a physical problem with the instrument, mm -hmm. we need an expert to look at it with neutral eyes and mm -hmm. to do something and to locate yes. the issue and to fix yes. it because we well, don't know where it is. Yes, and and... and I think that's actually why I love teaching so much too, because it's actually the psychological version of fixing a flute, right? Yeah. <laughs> so it's, it's, it's that same thing. It's like, okay, what is the problem they're having? Okay, it looks like this, but really the root cause is this, yeah. right? And it, it's manifesting at this. And same thing when you look at a flute and someone's like, ah, you know, my B flat isn't playing. Well, it's not always the B flat key right? It's something yeah. <laughs> a little deeper than that, right? Or maybe it's like, yeah, your B-flat's not playing, but that's kind of the least of your issues. <laughs> so um, it, it, it is, it's sort of that like root cause analysis that I really gets me very excited about really anything, you know? And, and I think that's part of what I define my, my geekiness as, is like, I don't like just looking at the surface of things. Like, I want to know why. Like, if you tell me to do something and you don't tell me why, I'm going to get very crabby. <laughs> yeah, your fellow co-hosts on the Screw Loose, or all of that, yeah. all of that ilk in that they want to know why. But mm -hmm. but also, <laughs> when you put yourself individual, when you take them you all apart and 
yes. speak about each of you in, individually. There are hundreds of thousands of so-called flute repairers or woodwind repairers around the world. Mm-hmm. But when you go to a true specialist that not only plays but understands at the macro level the instrument, yes, you can transform a flute that plays really well. I've witnessed this. I've taken my flute, my beloved flute, for its annual service, and it's been playing beautifully. But something happens. Something at a macro level happens to that instrument when it comes back and you think, oh, my word. Yeah, you didn't realize that there was room to go, right? (laughs) Yes. Well, and I think that's where, like, it's always a touchy subject when you talk to a repair person who is not a trained flutist because they can do excellent work. Mm. But so much of my like final stages of, of me fixing a flute, I put down the feeler gauge, I put down the leak light, I put away the mag machine and I play it. And if it's not, if the F has a different quality than the F sharp, Mm -hmm. I don't care what my tools are telling me. (laughs) It's like, and and this is this is like a secret that I should not tell anybody but sometimes it's not a matter of taking the leaks out it's a matter of putting them back in yeah yeah which is like I mean you don't say that to people and I just said it to the world so but (laughs) because it comes down to how does the flute play and this is where it's like you can be you can be the geekiest of geeks and you can like want things to be black and white and it's perfect or it's not, but that doesn't actually work in flute repair. It's also an art. And oftentimes it's more of an art than it is a science. And that's where it is intensely frustrating, (laughs) but also intensely rewarding when you finally get it and no one else was able to get that flute to do that. Right. Um, So it's this constant dance between like utter despair (laughs) And like total elation of just like, oh, this is expletive, expletive, expletive. <laughs> like, I'm, I'm terrible. This flute is terrible. Everything is terrible. Like, I mean, why do I do this to myself, right? And then, you know, an hour or two later of just messing with things and playing it and trying something and playing it and trying something and like also using your tools and being objective and going back. And so it's that dance between like, do I need to be an artist right now or do I need to be a technician right now? Like what is causing this issue? Um, it's, it's very difficult. And I think that is why finding someone who repairs flutes really well is extremely difficult because it's just a, such a weird mix of skills and patience and like bullheadedness. <laughs> well, I'm a pain in the ass is that I, I have very light touch. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. I, I was taught to have a very light touch. I play, open, Good. I play open, open hole in line. And when yep. in the part over the years, and I'm not, I'm talking sort of previous 20 years, I've had my flute back from a service. And because I, it's funny you mentioned the F, um, I've had my flute back from a service and the low F has always been problematic. It's been there, but I've had to apply yep. slightly more pressure than I mm-hmm. usually do. Yes. And it's taken seriously good technical people since that have looked that have known what I wanted. And that yes. that note, that low F is a pain yes. in the butt to me. Yes. Not not anymore, but I know it is to a lot of flute players when they've had yes. their flutes back. Well, yes. And this is like uh this is walking the line between so like the reason why that note is a pain in the butt right is because it operates two other keys so it has to also close the f sharp key which is the one right you know north of your finger right but it also has to close your b flat key which is why one plus one b flat works right and if your shimming is not absolutely perfect and if the mechanism isn't absolutely rigid and if you know your particular flute doesn't have a great beat some some flutes will play b flat when it's like you can see the key is open right and (laughs) you cannot hear a difference in the b flat right other flutes that thing has to close rock solid otherwise the b flat is like "Eh," like compared to the uh, the lever or, or the thumb and so it's just like if you have one of those flutes where it's like the the b flat key has to be rock solid and you're a picky player (laughs) where you want the f to close super duper lightly 
it takes a lot longer because you have to really shim those three keys differently and really think about how they relate to each other differently and how is the metal torquing along the length of that long thing, right? And is are you as a technician playing as lightly as the flute player is going to be playing? Because you can't, and, and, <laughs> Because um, on most flutes, there's a paper or, or some sort of silencing material between those adjustments. So it's not just metal on metal, right? So that paper is going to compress over time, right? So you have to walk that line between, okay, if I set it up perfectly now, in two weeks after they played a bunch, is it going to compress and then it's going to come out of adjustment and then they're going to hate their B flat. So it's just this constant dance of like, who am I fixing this flute for? How do they play? What kind of flute is it? how stable is this metal? What are the adjustment materials? What is the pad type? Like, what's the weather like there? Because are these pads and adjustments going to swell? It's, it's just, I mean, there are so many variables. It's, it's often, um, my, my least favorite thing to do is to fix a flute for someone who I've never met. It, it's, it's always that gamble of, like you said, like, am I going to send this back and are they going to hate the F or am I going to send this back and they're going to like be sad that their B flat sounds under adjusted in a couple of weeks? <laughs> or maybe I send it back and they love it. Or, you know, maybe I send it back and it's something else. I just, yeah, it's, it's such a, um, yeah, it's, it's a difficult line to walk. It's because you're fixing an emotion, aren't you? It's an emotional tool. We, we have our instrument. Yes. We spend more time with our instrument than we do with our partners. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and we're sending this instrument off yeah. or we're it's, giving it, that to somebody else. Yeah, it's a baby. Yeah. 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 And I remember, you know, before I learned how to repair and after Joe moved to Tennessee, uh, he, he went to join Pearl first before he, he joined Altus and he moved to Tennessee. And I was like, well, what am I going to do now? <laughs> like, how do I know who to trust? And I shipped my flute to Tennessee because I was like, I, I literally, like, I know that there's like people in Boston, New York, who I should be able to trust, but I don't know them. Um, and so I really appreciate, you know, as a player myself, like how difficult it is. And, and shipping scares a lot of people too. Like they're just very afraid to put their flute in a box and send it to somebody. And, I get it. I, I, I completely get it. And, and, you know, while from when it's not me, and I'm a technician telling other people, oh, yes, it's perfectly safe, you know, put it in the box, pack it this way, there's tracking, you have insurance on your flutes, you know, it's, it's gonna be fine. I ship flutes every day. Like, you know, when it comes to me sending my own flute somewhere, I'm like, oh, is it okay? Let me check the tracking. Like, <laughs> When, you, when you're um, when you're fixing a flute, now I've got a, a an old an old flute. I play on a very old Matiki, and Matiki Company isn't around anymore. Me too. You do as well. <laughs> I do too. <laughs> My head. But I've yes. got uh, I've got on it uh, a nine carat white gold, really old, thirty five year old Lafan head. And yeah. when I send the flute, well, I actually give it to David, our technical guy now. But when nice. I used to when I used to give it to repairers. Uh, mostly in London, they used to know. I always used to ask them not to clean the head joint. Hmm, interesting. Um, okay. Because, I again, it's in my head. It's when it, it came back once and the whole flute was beautifully clean, including the head joint. Yep. And I thought it didn't play the same. And yeah. in, my, in my head, I just wanted this yep. dirty lump of white gold. <laughs> and, well, and this comes back to that whole, like, oh, you know, when we, when we were chatting before we started the official thing, like, does the thing actually make a difference, right? <laughs> <laughs> like, scientifically, did that little speck of whatever on that spot make a difference? Maybe, but probably not. But there's no way to know, right? But if it made a difference to you, then yes, it makes a difference, right? And I do have clients who request that I don't clean things, uh, okay. um, like, or, or clean the, um, the, the, a lot of them will put, like, nail polish or, like, uh, other markings on their flute for aligning it and stuff and they're like oh don't touch my marks <laughs> you know? or they just like the way the tarnish looks and I'm like okay less work for me <laughs> it's like an old French flute when you see these old old French Louis Lots or Bonnevilles or whatever yeah when you see them cleaned up it just doesn't yeah. look right does it they just look yeah kind of generic you know <laughs> like uh <laughs> It's like, oh, is that a new like Chinese knockoff? Oh no, yes. that's actually <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, what, what, 
whilst, whilst you've mentioned it, what's your view on those markers to line up? Because I've seen people putting um, nail varnish on to line the two bits. Yes. Okay. What from every... I have so yeah, go on. I have several views. Oh please, please, please. <laughs> do, you, do you mean from like a like from a pedagogical and teaching and playing perspective or from like a repair person's perspective? From both, please. Okay. Because no so... doubt there's a dichotomy there. <laughs> oh yeah, there is. <laughs> well, yeah, yes and no. Okay. When someone like Rhonda Larson um, puts a mark on her flute, <laughs> she does it for a very good reason, because she often is getting her flute put together in the dark, and she needs to know where things go, right, <laughs> before she walks out on stage. Like, she can keep the marks in her flute. <laughs> Those are great. Um, I have a few teachers in the area who are wonderful teachers, and they teach a modified rock stroke grip. And so they will have their students put dots on the head joint to get that, you know, rock stroke alignment where the head joint is, is a little bit tilted in and the body is a little bit tilted out. Um, <clears throat> that, again, if that's something that you're teaching and you're reinforcing, like, cool, because it does help hand position balance, keeps the flute from rolling, all of that kind of good stuff. Um, and I trust those teachers to know what they're doing. I have seen people try to mark their flutes for intonation like how far the head joint gets pulled oh, in and yeah. out uh, and that both from a teaching standpoint and from a repair standpoint I, I highly dislike because if you're putting a mark on the tenon you're just like introducing stuff that isn't supposed to be in the tenon into the tenon joint and that is going to cause havoc on the fit of your tenon and and tenons are notoriously difficult to repair if they get scratched or you know any kind of goo in there um, including Sharpie or or bits of nail polish or, or, or whatever. So that, that's just not a great idea. Um, plus, like, you know, <laughs> at least in Connecticut, I'm sorry, but I, I don't tune in the same place in the summer that I do in the winter. Absolutely. Like a cold, that's, right? Yeah. <laughs> like, it's just, it's just different. So that, that to me is kind of futile. So in terms of like marking, like indexing a rotation spot mm -hmm. or, or yeah. you know, something, an alignment place, that's totally fine. If you're going to do it in nail polish, just make sure that you put the dot away from the inner tenon sleeve like if you do it on the head joint put it above at the farthest point that it slides in um and that'll be totally fine nail polish sharpie um those things will not hurt your flute you can you know <laughs> decorate your heart's desire <laughs> do you think it'd be helpful if makers of student flutes were to put alignment marks on well some of them did they did know, like mine first yes. one did Yes, yes. I like Bundy's, I think, had those little like five my, alignment. Mine was a Yamaha, sort of an old Yamaha. Oh, yeah, Actually, some of those it, might have. Was it a Gemeinhaar? Do you know, I don't know which one it was, but it had. But they used to. Yeah. Yeah. And and I've actually seen um, vintage like handmade Hames that had like a gold dot, oh, like a little classy. raised, right? <laughs> yes. <laughs> yep. And Yamaha does have, they do have those two arrows, yeah. like on the, on the, right in the body. Um, and, and the, you're supposed to use a logo, I guess, to line up with a little arrow on the thing. But, um, yeah, was, I think you're, like stuff like that, if you don't use it, who cares if you do use it, it's useful to you. I, I'm sort of very, I think it depends on how the concept is presented. Yeah, I have a, pro I have a professional sort of inquiry <laughs> on this one. Yes. It's, it's just, it's, it's popped up on social media quite a lot with, with people okay. putting their alignment dots mm -hmm. on the head and on the body. Yes. But you're, you're exactly right. Some teachers will teach with the head joint in and the main body out. Yep. So where would you uh, where would you actually put it? For me personally, it would be the alignment between the centre of the embouchure hole and the, the first key, first key, C sharp key. That's how I yeah. do. I did went to yeah, yeah. I, I I was taught the modified rockstro and I used it for a while, but I tend to just I, I go back to center I, I do use a thumb port on my okay, flute, yeah. which kind of eliminates the need for the <laughs> modified brush and and my my muteki is so back heavy like it has a c-sharp trill and it's just oh my gosh I literally there's no grip that I can use without a thumb port that doesn't it just rolls no matter yeah. what I do and I always thought that it was me until I started fixing other people's flutes and I was like wait <laughs> I can balance everyone's flute but mine. And again, I guess this comes back to like root cause analysis, right? Are you using the the thumb port because you're, you know, not willing to try other things, right? Or are you using it because you've literally tried everything else and that is a thing? Or are you using rock show for 
position because that's what your teacher told you to do and you've never tried anything else or to me everything needs to be um we're all different our bodies are different the way that we play is different the way that our hands are shaped are different i'm not going to be able to hold my flute the same way that you are you know i'm five foot two like <laughs> i just don't have yeah i'm tired of hurting my hand <laughs> so <laughs> Um, and I actually I have this discussion actually uh, uh, with some of my screw loose people sometimes because you know it'll come up on forums a lot of the time like should I put plugs in my flute oh no you know I I was taught that you know you're cheating if you use your plugs and I'm like okay I have played so many flutes now at this point that I know that for me personally I cannot cover the holes on like Gemein Hearts, for example. Like I just cannot play low B easily and some old like Hanes and, and it just, the spread is just too wide and the holes are too big and the foot joint is in the wrong spot. And when I play test those flutes, I put plugs in because it's not worth guessing if the low notes sound bad because I'm not covering the holes. And it's not because I don't have proper hand position. It's just literally, I'm not sized to play that flute. And what's interesting is that I find that Japanese flutes are more comfortable for me and I was talking about this with Rachel Simon and she's like oh oh and Burkhart's and I was like oh my gosh these were all designed by Japanese people who tend to be more my size or women (laughs) this makes perfect sense again like the why why are you doing something why are you putting plugs in your flute it's never a black and white thing it's always but Sarah, yeah. <laughs> does it really matter? No one knows you got plugs in when you're playing, do they? Exactly. No, they don't. So this is actually very interesting because I had never really paid too much attention to like the difference between the sound when there are plugs in, when there are plugs not in, because I just use them when I need them on the flutes mm-hmm. that need them. And I don't use them on the flutes that don't need them. And when I'm repairing somebody's flute, like I can't keep it for a year to really get to know <laughs> all of the total possibilities, you know, like I have it for a week and I have to like make sure everything works and then send it back to its its owner. This is really funny. So I, I don't like name dropping, but Rhonda is one of my clients. Part, partly she, I share her with somebody else, but <laughs> she lives like, you know, half an hour from me. And so it's just convenience. And she fell and she broke her wrist two winters ago. And so I did some modifications on her keys so that she could still play with her cast on. And she had to put the plugs in because obviously she couldn't reach some of the holes. And she was the first one who really was like, no, I, I, you know, I had the plugs in. And then as soon as I was able to take them out, oh my God, what a difference. I sound like myself again. And I was like, okay, let me pay a little more attention to this. Mm-hmm. And I do find that she's right on, on most flutes. I do notice a difference. That being said, I also feel like if you are a good enough player and you have the sound concept in your mind that you want and you have no other option you will get you will learn to make the sounds that you want if that makes sense so like say you know she was never able to put the plugs back into or you know take take the plugs out for some reason right she would have found a way to sound like herself again is there a difference yes is it gonna make or break you no (laughs) No, you'll, you'll find a way to do the thing that you need to do. That's us temperamental flute players, isn't it? We, we would, uh, <laughs> oh, it doesn't quite feel right. And then that little headworm is all going around, isn't it? Whoa. Yes. But oh, you're, you're exactly so right. I mean, when, when you yeah. hear brilliant flute players picking up any flute, they can mm-hmm. make it sound beautiful. Oh, yeah. Like when Emmanuel Pahoud, you know, you watch the videos of his own, he's just like, here, right? And it, it's so true. Yeah, I mean, to a point. I mean, yes, at some point, like there is a reason why people spend a lot of money on a handmade flute. Like I'm yeah. definitely not, I, I do need to say that I'm not saying that, you know, your, your 70 year old Bundy is going to sound like, you know, a Brannon, like that is not going to happen. <laughs> I had this discussion with Josh, Josh Johnson the other week. Yes. And I'm of the firm belief that you, you get what you play for in a musical instrument in that mm-hmm. You, you don't just get the value as in scrap metal that is in the tube. You get yep. the expertise in design, the expertise yep. in construction, and also as a technical wizard like yourself, when a, a handmade flute, an expensive handmade flute, comes in mm-hmm. front of you, when you take it apart, you can see the quality of design and manufacture, mm-hmm. and you can yes. work more with it. Yes, Absolutely. There's a lot more possibilities. And that's why when you're thinking about putting your money into a flute repair or, you know, should I overhaul this flute, right? You 
honestly really can't consider how much you paid for the instrument Absolutely. often times because how much it costs to repair that flute it, it, it especially if you bought it you know 50 years ago you're probably going to pay more to overhaul your flute than you paid for your flute like <laughs> it, it's just well i mean maybe not i don't know how much they cost if a flute is worth fixing it's worth putting the money into it and you can't it's not like a car that gets totaled you know if it needs like more than x number of repairs after a certain point like that handmade flute with it, i mean barring like catastrophic things that have happened to it, it it's always worth putting the money into and so it gets harder when you get down down to like intermediate step up flutes mm. because the amount of time that it takes me to do the job that I feel satisfied on and again who's going to play it like the uh, it comes into that like it, if I need to get you know an intermediate flute to you know get somebody through college <laughs> I need to spend a lot of time yeah. on that flute and it's often not proportional to what that flute is worth and that's where the decision comes and it's like okay well are we gonna pay 700 to a thousand dollars to overhaul this intermediate flute or are we gonna buy another <laughs> intermediate flute mm -hmm. and that's where it becomes a difficult decision because there are some that I would say are worth doing that to just because the head joint is really special or they are particularly well made, you know, and there are some that is absolutely not worth doing that to. And it would be worth, you know, saving up another 500 to a thousand dollars and getting, you know, something that's a little bit, you know, nicer. So again, it, it's like, we all want these very clear answers when it comes to flutes and flute repair and, you know, but it, rarely, rarely is there a clear answer. There isn't a clear answer. And yeah. what you guys do, you save the day on many occasions, because as I said, everybody's temperamental. And if you pick your flute up one day and you're playing and something is not right, yes, and you have a gig in the evening or you have a recording or you're doing something that's of importance, it's a yes. huge, great thing. The smallest leak, yes. the smallest something can be magnified yep. into a huge, great crisis. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I have definitely had people call me and be like, oh, I have an audition tomorrow. Can you like fit me in? And I'm, you know, usually it's something not that terrible for me. <laughs> um, and, and that's the good news, you know, is that usually if something suddenly goes wrong, it's not a big deal. Usually it feels catastrophic, but it's usually something pretty simple, like an unhooked spring or maybe, you know, the oil just decided to get gunky all of a sudden, you know, that day you just need some new oil. And that's that's the saving grace of most of those situations um, is that the, the sudden if your flute suddenly sounds bad, it's actually easier to fix than if it's just like been neglected for a long time and gradually been getting worse and you haven't really been noticing. <laughs> I can't tell you like how many people will bring me their flutes and, and like Oh, bless them. But it's like, they're like, I've had this flute for 20 years <clears throat> and it's never been looked at, but it plays great. And I'm like, <laughs> okay, <laughs> okay. <laughs> uh, let me take a look and I'll let you know what I see. And usually I can't get past A because I also play with a really light touch. And so I'll be like, do, do. <laughs> just kind of dies i'm like oh honey you have a death grip <laughs> yes <laughs> and so um and and you know I'll, I'll fix the flute and i get them back and usually it's like this string of like texts of like oh my gosh i sound so much better oh wow the low notes are so easy oh my god i played for my friend and they said that i'm more in tune <laughs> you know <laughs> although i did have one one sort of backfire um where i i repatted this flute and um, this this woman was used to playing, you know, with such a strong grip to to overcome the leaks, and um, it, it was it was that it, it comes back to that that thing that I kind of alluded to before, where it's like some flutes resonate better if they're not like bottle tight, right? It, so <laughs> I made it, you know, play really really well for my light touch or whatever, and then she got it, and she's like. I just can't play loud. It's like dead. It's just, I just, I just, it doesn't sound like my flute anymore. Like, so I was like, oh, you know, send it back, send it back. Let me see. Maybe something, you know, like slip that things happen, you know, like I can't control things on <laughs> slightly. And I get it back and I'm like, no, it plays just like 
left it. Like it sounds really good. So then I decided to like squeeze really, really hard while I played. And it did exactly what she was describing. It just, it killed the flute. It like totally killed it. And I was like, oh man. So she had hit that sweet spot of like <laughs> squeezing the huge leaks down to like teeny leaks, right? Where the flute was resonating just enough. And then when I got rid of all the leaks, like it just, yeah. So anyway, so I, I, I did a few things and, and <laughs> she's been working on lightening up and <laughs> she's very happy now. <laughs> Moving on, never- I alluded earlier about Philippe yes. Barnes and you in that yes. Philippe, the brilliant yes. flute player that he is, he is. has one of yes. your crowns. Now, you yes. make absolutely beautiful crowns. Thank you. <laughs> and you can find them on your website anyway, which is boundlessflute.com. Yeah, there's a link there. Yeah, yeah, there's a link, yeah. but oh, there's there's, there's one full of diamonds. So it looks like diamonds. Yes. It's gorgeous. And then you've got yes. one with the Celtic uh, symbol. Yes, and that's the one that Philippe has, yep. So where, where did you go into this? Because I'm actually fascinated with crowns. Oh, purely, cool. <laughs> only because in my in my head, in my head, madam, in my head, yes, yes, it make, yes, a crown yes. makes a difference, you know, makes a difference. Because <laughs> of the mass on the end. I, do you know, I don't oh. know what it is, but I always feel in my ear, you know, people can't hear. When I've played with mm. different crowns, no one can hear. But yet in my head, I don't can know if it's a resonance or something, I can feel something. Well, yeah, it's so interesting, right? And this is like, this is why I'm a terrible salesperson, right? It's because I'm never going to say, yes, my crowns make a difference in your sound because I don't know if they do. Like, I mean, I'll, I'll play them sometimes and, and I'll think, yes, oh, oh, I really like this. And then, you know, 10 minutes later, I'll pick up the flute and go, ah, yeah, maybe it doesn't make a difference. And then I'll play it for someone and they'll be like, yes, I can hit, no. Ah. And I think ultimately it comes down to, do you personally think yep. that it feels a difference? You know, and, and then if that's the case, then cool. So the crown thing, I got into it by accident because I actually wanted to learn how to make key modifications. So to help people to, you know, be more comfortable in playing their flutes. And I, I you know, this is my entire shop. I, I, it's my house. It's not even a house. It's a condo on the second floor of a condominium. So I can't have tanks of gas for soldering. I can't have big, heavy equipment. Like this is, this is it. So that kind of limits me in what I'm able to do in terms of making keys. So I had about an hour from me, there's a jewelry uh, studio called the Gilded Links and they offer classes. And so I was like, okay, you know, I started taking some like soldering classes, metalworking classes, um, just stuff like that to kind of get my skills up for when something goes wrong on a flute. I wanted to know what I was doing. So they were very helpful. And then uh, after I'd been going there for a while, for other things, I saw that they were offering a class in something called Rhino. And Rhino is a 3D design uh, software program. And using that program, this is how jewelry makers <laughs> will make rings. It's they, they, or pendants or whatever, if they're not hand fabricating them, you can 3D model it in Rhinoceros. You can send that 3D file to a casting company and they will print, 3D print whatever you made in wax and then make whatever you modeled on your computer in silver, gold, platinum, like whatever metal you want. And it's the most amazing, mind-blowing process. And so I was like, oh my gosh, this would be such a great way for me to get like the finished key shapes that I need or touches or extensions or whatever without having to do the fabrication here. Um, so basically I would get the thing made and like I can do low temperature soldering here and, you know, or sometimes we use epoxy to put things on if they're not going to be there for long. Um, I was like, this is great. I, I can make this work, you know, or if I need to drive an hour to the <laughs> real soldering place, I can do it there. Um, anyway, so I, I started taking this class and um, everyone in there is a jewelry person except for me. And they're like, you do what? <laughs> except for the teacher. It turns out he was a flutist, of course, because flutists are everywhere. <laughs> So the final project was to make a pave setting and a pave setting is that sparkle crown that I make that is just like, I, I have since learned that it's called you, when you ice something, you ice something out. <laughs> so you, right, you make it all blingy. So you cover up everything just with sparkles. And in this case, it's cubic zirconia. I could do it in diamonds if someone really wanted me to, but I, I'm not sure how that math would work out. <laughs> in terms of cost anyway so so he was like okay we're gonna make pave earrings and I was like really 
<laughs> like, what am I going to do with pomade earrings? <laughs> Gross. That's so not my style. <laughs> so I was like, all right, I'm not making earrings. What am I going to make? I was like, oh, I can make a crown. How cool would that be? <laughs> so that is where the very first um, crown came from was this assignment in this jewelry class and once I made that one I kind of started going oh my gosh but what about this oh, I could put this design oh oh I could do this design and in fact I actually just had the very before the pave I had made a, a unicorn one <laughs> because we were learning how to like make shapes and then extrude them and then like put them on stuff so I made this little like unicorn head <laughs> And then I plopped it on top of, you know, a cylinder and I was like, oh, I made a crown. And this is before I knew how to like make curves or domes or anything like that. And I gave it to my friend Alex. And so I actually just had her flute for a COA uh, this past week. And I got, you know, crown number one, which is like super blocky and super simple, but it has a unicorn on it. <laughs> so that was the easy part was figuring out how to use rhinoceros because then it comes to oh, figuring out how to make these crowns fit every possible flute that crosses my path. Mm. Okay, crowns, they, they screw on. How hard could that be? <laughs> How hard could that be? Famous last words. <laughs> so it turns out that there are three main screw threads that uh, manufacturers use that are all completely different and are not interchangeable, but I have measured up to seven different ones. I've encountered seven different screw threads <laughs> and the diameter of the top of the head joint tube varies pretty wildly. And that's the other thing too, is that I'll measure a vintage, you know, Powell and is very different than a modern Powell. So not only can you not know that Powell is always going to be the same, but like, okay, well, what serial number? So, and then it's like, how far does that screw stick out up into the crown, right? Mm. Because if it sticks up too far, you can't get the crown on all the way. There's a few brands. Oh, so I had a problem where like, so I had numbers for Gemeinhardt. They were pretty consistent. And then I got an order for someone who had a Gemeinhardt Crusader head joint. And I was like, uh, is it going to be the same? Is it? I don't know. So I took a chance. Not the same. So <laughs> on those, the, the screw does not protrude past the end of the head joint tube. It's like sunk in by quite a bit. So my crown wouldn't even like reach the top of the screw. And on most, it's like they stick out like at least a little bit, you know. <sighs> So it just, you know, it, it's just this constant like, okay, what now? <laughs> so I try to measure every single flute that comes across my bench and I have it all in a giant spreadsheet and I've gotten it to the point where I'm fairly confident that I know, like if someone orders something that it, it's probably going to fit. But like uh, I, I, I did a custom uh, design. This, this is actually one of my favorite things to do is like, so I have the four main designs that I have on my website, but I also take uh, custom requests. And most recent one, I don't know, second most recent one that I did is for someone and they wanted design based on the Philippine flag on, the, on their crown. And they have a head joint made by a Philippine maker, uh, Candelaria, which I've never seen a Candelaria head joint before. <laughs> Um, and I'm very excited to see it. So he is actually shipping me his head joints so that I can get those measurements so that now I ha will have those numbers and I can make sure that his, his custom crown fits, which was sort of my goal because there are other people who make crowns out there, right? But my goal was to make it like, can you go to my website and like click the menus and order your crown? I present very well as an extrovert, but I actually really, really hate talking to people that I don't know. <laughs> And I hate picking up the phone and I hate like calling places. And uh, so when, if I can just go online and like snoop around and like click, 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 click and get the thing that I want, like that to me is a dream come true. So that's kind of where I was trying to go in, you know, building the crown website. And it's still very much in its uh, infancy because this rabbit hole is much deeper than I ever thought that it would be. <laughs> it is. And you know, cr crowns are a beautiful way to p not only personalize your flute, but also a lot of people experiment. And the yes. head joint is, as Vern Kupel once said, I'm sure he said something like 80% or 90% of the, the flute. It's the yes, head, it it's is. the engine room. It is where yes. your breath hits. And right. a good yes. head joint will transform your playing. Yes. So anything and you do to that head joint yeah, can have a exactly. plus or minus effect on the... Exactly. And so one of the things that I also measure when I measure my head joints is how much does the crown weigh? Yeah. And so when I try to make my regular, like standard crown, 
I try to match it to the original crown's weight because I don't want it. If somebody doesn't want a change in their sound, I don't want to change their sound. So I I have, I know how much every crown out there weighs. (laughs) And the way that I make mine is I I have, uh, I, I model the pretty part and I send that out and I get it made. And then on that lathe right there, I make the bottom part and then they get soldered together so i can control the weight by making that brass the the base is brass the part with the screw threads so that's where i customize the diameter the screw thread you know all of those things to make sure that the crown will fit your flutes but i can also very easily customize the weight so it's 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 an interesting thing however it's also not black and white because i made a crown for somebody and I I got that thing to weigh the same to within like I mean it was it, it was like a hair different than the I mean really should not have made a difference um and I could hear a big difference between the original crown and the crown that I made and so it was, it's not just the weight necessarily which is very frustrating but then we went and did <laughs> a bunch of blind tests where I we, we tried the crown that I made the original crown no crown and I had the player play it and I would hand them the flute. I would switch the crown and they would play and I'd switch the crown and they would play. And, and we were recording the whole time too. And then I played the flute, with three crowns with them listening. And at the end, we couldn't tell which was which. Um, so that was very interesting, even with no crown at all. And, and like, I, you had asked me the day before when I was trying those two crowns, like here in this room, like which one I thought was better. I had like a vehement preference. Like I knew which one I liked. And it was like, mm-hmm. there was no question in my mind. <laughs> so it's, it's, uh, it's fascinating. <laughs> You're getting me to uh, question my own sanity because I actually well, quite like something that's got a bit of mass in it, but um Right. And so, so I make not only the crowns, but I also make weight kits. So if you like the way your current crown looks, um, I have an adjustable weight kit that you can put in. Um, and again, my goal here was to not, I wanted it to be very user-friendly because there are other stoppers and assemblies and stuff like that out there that require you to remove your head joint cork and put something else entirely new in. And I've seen a lot of damage happen from things like that because people aren't text they don't necessarily know what they're doing it sounds like a very easy thing to do but (laughs) things go wrong um not always I mean there are a lot of very happy people but there are enough people um so anyway yes so I was like okay how can I make this so that you don't have to alter anything and you don't have to take a chance on damaging anything so I made a set of weights that uh screw onto your existing uh stem and then your your original crown fits over the top. Oh, cool! Yeah, yeah. I can. I, well, I mean, this is a podcast, so I can't really show people. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's cool! So uh, you can just add yeah. the weights, and you. Oh. Wow. Yeah, and it comes with a little tool, so you can just like screw it on in there, and you just screw it all out again. And you can. Um, there's six different weights, so you can you mix and match or customize. And, yeah. <laughs> oh, that appeals to me. Yeah, it's fun. I just have to figure out, see, it's always like I have these great ideas and then it's like the production that I get hung up on. Like it's so hard to find a way to do it in a way that's like cost effective and not time consuming and not going to put me in a gazillion dollars worth of debt (laughs) on something that I don't know if people are going to go for. So it's, um, and that's kind of the same thing with the crowns too. It's like the challenge has been like prototyping is so expensive and um getting because I don't I have to send the finishing like the jewelry stuff out to someone who's actually a jeweler like I have enough respect for different people's trades to know that I am not a jeweler they are not flute players like I'll let them be the experts at what they're experts at um but it's very the pandemic has made things very difficult in terms of that and um it's always it's hard to find people who have the same level of perfectionism that I do (laughs) and uh communication and and scheduling and and it's just it's surprisingly um yeah it's much more uh complicated than than what I would have thought so (laughs) while I am so if if people if this you know uh encourages a whole bunch of people to start (laughs) ordering crowns just know that I'm slow (laughs) 
but in, I'm slow. But in but life, we'll in life, if, if you can deliver the next day, we learned that with we 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 make a custom horn um, saxophone. Yeah, and we we build it back back in um, our place in Lenham in Kent. But there's a waiting mm-hmm. list. If they're on the shelf, people they wouldn't be yeah. attractive. But we build them individually, and they take time. Yeah. They do. They do. And all, all the <laughs> things you have to wait, don't they? I think so. I think so. And I think that's um, a really lovely thing to cultivate, especially in our day and age of like instant gratification and, you know, get it done quick at any cost because it, ultimately it's just, I don't know. The, the, the older I get, the more I have an appreciation for like spend a little more money, wait a little extra time, yeah. get it done the right way because then you're going to have it forever and it's going to bring you joy forever. <laughs> yeah, it's not, it's not throwaway culture. And um, yeah, I would yeah, totally and, agree. Yeah, and the exactly. same, the same with when you need your flute or musical instrument looked at, be prepared yes. to pay because you're paying for expertise. Yes. You're paying right. for the nerdship. You're paying for the perfectionism that yes. you're right. the person that is going to transform what you give them exactly. into something that comes back to you that is yeah. going to play beautifully. Exactly. And anybody anybody doing instrument repair to a very high level is not getting rich. <laughs> uh, no, because you, you... It just... I think yeah, I, it, we spoke about this on your, on your um, the screw loose. Yes. Is that yep. how much I pay for a COA or for a repair does mm-hmm. not when you break that down into an hourly rate there is no there it just doesn't work it doesn't fit it doesn't it doesn't because at all you, you will spend far longer on an instrument than you're actually yes. charging for exactly exactly so this is definitely um not a, a, a job that you get into because you want to be wealthy or have nice <laughs> things <laughs> this is something that you do because you can't let it go yeah. and you really passionately believe in quality and you want to help people. It just, if you feel like your tech is doing a really, you know, knock it out of the park job on your instrument um, and they're charging what seems to be an astronomical amount of money for that work, they would actually probably make more money working at Starbucks. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, you know, that encompasses why you do what you do it's purely yeah. for the love it's purely because you're compelled to do it but it's also yeah. you there see perks. The, I mean, the, the perks yeah. you can see somebody's face when they receive exactly. their instrument yes and what you've changed I mean there's very exactly. there's very few days when I will actually make somebody smile because of what I've done and yet, I smile every time I see one of your posts. Shush. And, and, yet, and yet, you, when your instrument, uh, when the instruments go to people, it makes their day because of the relationship we have them. Mm-hmm. So I, I take, I doff my hat to you and all the fellow repair people around the world, in, and pay tribute to what you do because without you guys, well, ladies and gentlemen, and it, you know, <laughs> we would be stuck and we'd be moribund at the slightest leak and as I started <laughs> this you? podcast by saying we're all temperamental musicians and naturally temperamental because of the relationship we have with this tube and yes. so I, I pay tribute to all of you that will listen to our sob stories and will find <laughs> the problems that we don't know where they are and fix them well thank you guys for uh giving us something to do <laughs> We will always give you something to do, Sarah. And, you know, on on that note, you know, thank you so much for joining me today. Oh, it's been a pleasure. It's always so much fun to talk to you. So uh, thank you. (laughs) Oh, no, you know me. I love talking. And um, boundlessflute.com is where you'll find Sarah and also these wonderful, beautiful crowns. And um, I am going to be purchasing one of these and we'll speak another time mm-hmm. on this because that is, is that that sparkly thing you know it's, <laughs> it's, it's it's not really me but I mean I, you know I like I said when I when they told me that that was the project right was to make the sparkly thing my initial reaction was like oh gross <laughs> but when I made it and I saw it in person guess what I have on my flute now <laughs> Great. So, yeah, and it's something if you want to create a bit of interest. I mean, that the eyes go yeah. to that. And under the stage lights, oh my goodness, the colors that show up in those little gems. Oh my gosh, 
it's like it's like a little rainbow on the end of your flute it's so so get us out the pandemic and i'll certainly be ordering one because when i first saw the post a long time ago on that i thought that's yeah. mine and i told Phil- yes. i told <laughs> philippe barnes as well said that's the one i'm yes. gonna have Yes. Oh, that's so great. And I, you know, I'm always open to more ideas. I mean, the, the Celtic knot was an Adam Petrie request. And oh, was it? Since then. Yes. <laughs> yeah. So he has the first one of that. And, and that's since been one of the most popular ones. People mm. really, really like that pattern a lot. So yeah. Uh, well, well, keep up the good work. I'm sure you will. And uh, yeah, we will, we will catch up. You don't go to flute conventions, but who knows? Chicago's a big one. That's NFA, no yeah. NFA this year, but NFA 2022. If you yeah, like listen not? to flute play, the noise that flute players I, make. I, I do feel like I owe it to myself to go to one at least once. <laughs> well, let's enjoy our passion for coffee together when we meet, when we meet up next. <laughs> Sounds good. Beautiful to speak to you. And thank you so much for your words of wisdom advice to everybody. Well, thank you, Sarah. Thank you so much. It's been a pleasure. Thank you again to Sarah for speaking with me today and to you all for listening. Claire is back next week with another Talking Flutes podcast. However, in the meantime, please keep sending your feedback and suggestions to us at flutepodcasts at gmail.com. So until then, wishing you a wonderful week ahead and may your top C be especially in tune. Goodbye. Talking Flutes and Talking Flutes Extra are podcast productions by the Trevor James Flute Company. For more information, visit trevorjamesflutes.com.